Acts 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch and a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, and we're good to go. Get everyone. My name is Scott, and uh, happy birthday, church. Uh, well done on making it to a year. Um, like I said, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Pracker. Great to be with you this morning. And I want to start today by telling you uh, a story, a true story. Uh, it's a true story about a Christian pastor from Australia. In about 2014, 2015, sometime around then, so we're thinking, you know, five or six years ago, uh, around then, he, this Christian pastor, he travelled to the to the Middle East, and he went to a country where uh, Christians are heavily in- intimidated, uh, persecuted, oppressed. And he goes to this country and he's invited to come to uh, an underground church. Church is not public. Uh, for, they have to go underground or else they'd get hunted down. Um, it's all, so it's all very secretive. And he goes to visit this church. And as he's there, he starts asking people, what is it like to be a Christian here in your country? And people start telling him all sorts of stories, uh, stories about family members who've been rounded up, pastors they know who, who've been killed, um, people that have just disappeared. And he hears these stories and he's brought to tears. In fact, most of the people in the room are crying as they remember the people that they know and, and they've been lost. And this Australian pastor, he's, he's, he's overcome with emotion and, and he says to the church, this is a church again, full of people facing the real possibility of death day after day. And he says to them, brothers, sisters, you need to know this. Me and my church back in Australia, we are praying for you. We are praying that you can hang on. We are praying that this would stop. And we are praying that your faith in Jesus would not be brought down by those who seek your life. And at this point, everyone stopped. They turned to him. And uh, the pastor of the church he's at speaks up. And, and what do you reckon he says to this Australian pastor? Maybe, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Or maybe, please keep praying. We need God's help here to persevere. That's not what he said, though. Instead, he says, oh, but brother, we are praying for you and for your church. See, we face death all day long here. But you face something far more insidious. You face a life of ease and comfort 
that can slowly grow grow around you and choke the faith out of you. So we are praying for you that you will hang on to Jesus despite the wealth and prosperity that is so enticing. Brother, we are praying for you. Extraordinary, isn't it? Here is a church in a place that you and I would think is in great danger. And yet from their perspective, they look at churches like us in Australia, and and they see a greater threat to us. It's extraordinary. I was reminded of that story this week because it shows us threats don't always come from where we would expect them to. Threats don't always come from where we would expect them to. And actually, that's what happened in the passage we just read today. Did you notice that? Uh, we're going through a, a, a four-week series here, going through a part of the Bible called Acts. Acts tells us what happened uh, after Jesus was taken back to heaven. It's about the life of those very first churches. It's about how the first uh, Christians were witnesses to Jesus. And we just read from chapter 6, but I want to give you a bit of context. Just before this, in chapter 5, the apostles seemed to be under threat. The apostles are a group of 12. These are guys who followed Jesus through all his life. And they've been charged now, particularly, especially by Jesus, to to go and tell others about him. And in chapter 5, that's what we see the apostles doing. But there are those with political power who want to stop the apostles from doing that. Uh, So they have them arrested. The apostles get arrested, thrown into jail, publicly shamed, threatened with death, and finally flogged with whips. That is, these apostles have just had a similar kind of experience to that church in the Middle East I mentioned. Intimidated, assaulted, physically. This is true persecution. And so what do you think the apostles do at this point? Jailed, beaten... Threatened with death, shamed. What, what do they do? They go home and lick their wounds. They say, oh, well, guys, we gave it a shot, didn't we? But I guess whew, it's getting a bit too tough now. I guess we better stop, huh? Not at all. Instead, look at the end of chapter 5. Look at what they're doing. Chapter 5, verse 42 says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see that? There seemed to be a great threat, but in fact it wasn't a threat at all. The great threat that might have stopped these people from talking about Jesus, it didn't work. But in chapter 6, we do see a real threat emerge. Did you notice what the threat was when Stuart read earlier? Let's take a look again. This is, take a look at verse 1 with me up here again. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so notice here there was a threat trying to make people stop talking about Jesus, but the number of disciples is increasing because they're talking, people are coming to know Jesus. The number of disciples is increasing. In those days, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So in the church, you've got two groups. All right? Both of these groups are Jewish, racially, their heritage is Jewish. But one of them, one of these groups, has adopted a Greek culture, and they speak the Greek language, 
and they've left a lot of their Jewish culture behind. That's one group in your church. And the other group in your church here is what they're called Hebraic Jews. These are Jews who've maintained their uh, Hebrew culture and they speak the language that the Hebrews spoke at the time, which is probably Aramaic. They might speak a bit of Greek when they go to the marketplace to buy some food, but, but their, their, their heart language, their home language, they've kept Aramaic. These two groups have been brought together in the same church, brought together by the gospel, brought together by Jesus, and in the same church, but one of the groups, the Greek speakers, the widows from that group are being overlooked. Remember, this is a world without Centrelink, where widows are among the most vulnerable people. Generally, it was very hard for them to earn money, There's no safety net to fall back on. The Romans aren't giving out free meals to anybody. So in the church, they've kind of set up their own form of Centrelink as such. And that probably doesn't have the long phone call waiting time that Centrelink does, but it's there all the same. What they did, it seems like members from the church were giving either food or money to buy food, and so that this food could be brought around to the people in the church who just didn't have any, who weren't able to, the widows who then got looked after. It's an excellent, an excellent expression of Christian love. Until it seems that one group starts to miss out. Now, why is that a threat? Well, clearly it's not right for some to miss out. Uh, and, and clearly doing nothing about this is going to lead to a division in the church. But notice the apostles, the 12 apostles, they see another threat. Look at verse 2 with me here. Verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Remember what these apostles had been doing again back in chapter 5? They were talking about Jesus, being witnesses day after day in the temple courts, in people's houses. They're not stopping. They're talking about Jesus because that is the job that Jesus has given them to do. It's not that they're the only ones who do this. Every Christian is, is, is a witness to Jesus. But they've been set aside to do this as their main job. That, that's, that, that's the job they do all the time. And so here is the threat that, that's going to stop it. That they give up their God-given responsibility, that they give up their mission responsibility, and they just end up being focused inward on their own church and sorting out the differences in the church. And here's the point we've been driving to here. That is church squabbles or church disputes, they have the power to take our eyes off of being witnesses. Church squabbles and church disputes have the power to take our eyes off being witnesses for Jesus. Some churches will at times have squabbles. That is, they fight over things that are unimportant. I read an article this week. It was written by, uh, by an American guy. He's, um, he writes Christian books. And one day he's on Twitter and he put out a little survey and he said, tell me the things that your church has had an, an argument over. And then he wrote this article... And in this article, he listed uh, 25 absurd reasons why churches have squabbles. Do you want me to tell you a couple? There was a dispute in a church because, see, one day they had the Lord's Supper and the juice came around. And did you know 
it wasn't grape juice this particular day. It was grape and cranberry juice mixed together. A dispute erupted. Uh, another church argument erupted and they had to have a vote. This church had to have a vote to figure out what they'd do because they had a clock in their church and some people wanted it to go and some people wanted it to stay. Uh, oh, big one, isn't it? Um, another church had an argument over whether they should allow people to bring deviled egg sandwiches to church lunches. <laughs> Who knows what could happen if you eat a deviled... Now, did anyone bring deviled eggs to, to church today? Whew, we're off the hook. Look, this would be hilarious if it weren't true. These things really did happen. The people of God squabbled over these things, and it is so sad. These squabbles, they take our eyes off the main game. They take our eyes off being witnesses to Jesus. Friends, let's not squabble like that. At other times, though, true disputes might break out in a church. That's what's happening here in chapter 6 of Acts. This is not a squabble, is it? This is a real issue that needs to be resolved. And, and, and despite this, the apostles still know. It's, it's, a, it's a true issue, but the apostles know that this still has the power to take our eyes off of being witnesses to Jesus. So what do we do then? Look, let me tell you, when there is a real issue, we do need to speak up. Imagine for a moment what would happen in Acts chapter 6 here if nobody spoke up. If, if the group of Greek widows, Greek-speaking widows, what if they had just been overlooked? What could have happened? Well, Maybe, maybe there would have been an ugly church split. Maybe some widows would have just become impoverished and had to uh, look elsewhere for food and perhaps even have died without food. Maybe others would have looked on at what the church was doing here and thought that following Jesus was a waste of time because look at how his followers just end up treating each other anyway. Look, maybe it would have led to something else entirely different. I don't know. But whatever would have happened, if no one speaks up, you can see this is not going anywhere good, is it? I'm listening to a podcast at the moment, and it's telling a story of a large church in the United States. Uh, and it's asking, how did such a big church with such a wide reach that seemed to be so successful that was known across the world, how did this church fall apart? That's essentially the question that the podcast is asking. And as you listen to this podcast, um, people keep saying, you know, there's, there's some people who are not part of the church from the outside, they keep looking on and they're saying, look, someone should have noticed there was a toxic culture here. Someone should have noticed and someone should have spoken up. And then there was those who were part of the church. And, and, and they say similar things. They say, you know, I saw this negative thing. I saw this happen. And I thought, maybe I should speak up. But then I saw a lot of other good things that were happening. And I ended up just keeping it to myself. And boy, oh boy, do I regret that now. If there is a real issue here, friends, we need to speak up. 
And I'm not talking about squabbles here like you know, deviled egg sandwiches or, or, or my preference for a song versus your preference for a different kind of song. We're talking about real issues here, matters of godliness, abuses of power, neglect of people, these kinds of heavy things. If this is happening in our church, can I say, friends, the right thing to do is, is not to just brush it under the carpet or forget about it. The right thing to do is to speak up. Talk to me. Talk to Ada. Talk to someone on the leadership team. Speak up. Yes, it might have the power to take our eyes off of being witnesses if we don't deal with it well. But it's important that we do not let these things go. Because if we do nothing about this kind of thing, in the long run, it will hurt our witness to Jesus even more. If something is wrong, you need to speak up. But there's also something else that this passage shows us too, and it's this. When we deal with these disputes well, that actually has the power to strengthen our witness. When we deal with these disputes well, that actually has the power to strengthen our witness. Think about it for for a moment. Uh, In verse 2, in verse 2, remember what the apostle said? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And what could they have said next? It's not right for us, so just go and figure it out amongst yourselves, you know? It's not right for us to neglect this, so just quit whining and get on with it, will you? We shouldn't be waiting on tables here, but I guess we better stop our ministry to do this because no one else looks like they're going to step up and do it for us. Look, they could have said that, and I suspect it would have ended badly if they did. But instead, look at what they do. In verse 3, you see, they bring others into leadership. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. I say, brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what they do, they bring others in to leadership. It's not because they think that distributing food is beneath them. That's not it. The reason they don't do this is because Jesus has given them a specific role, a duty that they're to do, and something they cannot ignore. So it wouldn't be right for them to stop speaking about Jesus in order to do something else. And also, notice that they, they realise that the church is, is bigger than them. The church isn't just 12, these 12 guys. There's plenty of people with skills and gifts and heart for service who are full of faith and wisdom, people who can do things and people who can lead things. And so rightly, they hand this responsibility over. And in verse 6, you see, they actually take this really seriously. In verse 6, they publicly honour and celebrate those who take on this role. And so what's the outcome then of this dispute? Well, firstly, all the widows are looked after. That is a good thing. And secondly, the apostles continue to speak about Jesus. That is also a good thing. And because these two things are happening, look what, look what, look what verse 7 says. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. People still now are hearing about Jesus. The apostles get to continue doing that work. 
But also then, as people look in on the church community, they see people loving each other, living out their faith, caring for everyone, even the most vulnerable amongst them. And so more people begin to be followers of Jesus, even some Jewish priests. What's that remark about? Well, it's actually significant because in chapter 5, remember when the apostles were thrown in jail? Well, it's this group, it's, it's, it's some of the priests who are largely responsible for making that happen. And yet here they are, becoming now followers of Jesus. The church had a real dispute. They didn't ignore it, but they dealt with it. And they dealt with it well in such a way that now their witness to Jesus was strengthened even more. And so as we look on at this church from 2,000 years ago, and as we hear what they went through, there are at least two things that I want us to notice today. Here's the first one. Notice that the way we live as a church community actually has an impact on our our witness to the world. The way we live as a church community has an impact on our witness to the world. And I mean, this makes sense, doesn't it? You get this. Look, if if we are a, a group that meets here on a Sunday and if we are just like divisive and full of different little like social cliques, if we just keep holding grudges against each other and like squabble all the time over little things... If we did that, well, you can imagine if someone came in for the first time, they wouldn't really enjoy being around us, would they? They're not going to come back again. You can imagine they'd be turned off really quickly. You can imagine also that we'd pre- all of us here, we'd pretty quickly learn, this is not a place where I want to invite my friends to because oh, I don't even like being here half the time. I don't, we'd, we'd learn not to invite our friends here as well. You get the point, right? The, the way we live... As a church community, it, it has an impact on our witness. Now, can I say at this point, I really want to say to you guys, look, be encouraged. Be encouraged because I think we do this pretty well. I look at you guys on a Sunday and I hear about your community groups and I hear about other stuff that happens during the week and look, in all honesty, um, this isn't just trying to uh, uh, build you up. This is actually, it's, I'm saying this because I believe it. I think you do this really well. I, I hear things like um, you know, the peaches. Darren and Anthea have recently had little baby Laura come into their, their life and she's come early and there's been some issues with that. But they've been surrounded by love and care and you've bought them meals and it's fantastic. Uh, as I chat to some of the newer people at church here, um, they often comment to me they felt really warmly welcomed in their first few weeks. I hear about some other community groups. These are groups that I'm not part of. And I hear in your groups that you don't always agree on everything, but that doesn't mean that you end up fighting. But, but, but you actually you have respect for one another where you can disagree well and openly and, and you can go back to the Bible and let that shape the way that you, that you, that you think. I think I guess you heard it on the video before, didn't you? People talking about the, the, the love that they have for one another, the community here, that, that people have genuine love for each other. And I want to tell you, I praise God for this. I thank God for this. And I want you to hear this today. Thank you for doing this well. I love that we are a church that's like this. I love being able to do church with you guys, every one of you. 
And also, um, don't just assume that because we're like this today that we'll always be like that. Um, We will, as long as we keep making sure that this is a priority for us. That we do things like have each other into our homes for meals and coffee and catch-ups. That we don't always rush off on a Sunday mornings, but we value spending time with each other and, and growing deeper bonds. That we keep looking out for people who are newer amongst us. That we do those things that help us invest more deeply in the lives of each other. Can I say keep that kind of stuff up, friends? Because the way we live as a church community has an impact on our witness to Jesus. It can either be for good or for bad. And right now, guys, it is for good. And I want to say praise God, thank you, and keep going. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want to say today. Uh, We're spending four weeks in the book of Acts. And last Sunday, uh, I said that each of these four weeks, I want to get really practical. And I want to suggest four things that we can all do across the four weeks. And last week we saw that we are, we, we're all to be witnesses for Jesus. So here I'm going to give each week a new thing. But four things, really simple things, things that any of us can do that will help us be witnesses to Jesus. So last week I said, uh, know your story. Know how to tell the story of how you came to follow Jesus, uh, what convinced you, why, why that happened, why you decided to follow him. And I, I even said, actually, uh, be ready. So, so practice it so you're ready to tell it. Um, practice it with someone here at church. Tell someone the story, your story. Ask each other this question so that when we actually have the chance to tell others, we'll be ready. That was last week, though. Today, I want to give you the second thing. Here it is. Make an invite to church. Always be ready to invite someone to church. This is something is really easy, something we can all do. Like I said before, I think the way we do church community here, I think that's going to have a real positive impact on any guest that comes along here. And I want you to know as well, we, think of what we, we try to think of what we're doing up the front here because um, uh, our aim and what we do up the front here is to do things in a way that makes it easy for someone who's new, easy for them to know what's going on. Or, you know, we're not going to be like cringy or things like that. That's our aim when we're up here. And we don't always get that right, I'll be honest with you. And maybe if you're new amongst us today, you think, well, actually, they haven't got that right at all. And maybe you're sitting here and you're not new. You've been here for, for the last 12 months. And you go, well, I still don't think they've got that right. Can I just say, we actually value your feedback on that kind of thing. Do we do things that make you think, I would never bring my friend along here? If that's the case, tell us, because we want to get better at doing that at the front here. We're striving to be a church that you would feel comfortable to bring a friend along to, a neighbour along to, a work colleague along to. Because an invite to church is a really good way to be a witness for Jesus. And also, did you know this? Um, People, by and large, are actually willing to come if they're invited. True story. Um, I was looking at some research that's been done on this, and one particular study I saw this week, it it sampled people who don't go to church. These are Australian people right, uh, who don't go to church. And they asked a question. They said, if you were invited to go to church with a friend or a family member, would you go? All, all of those people who were asked, 
What's the percentage do you think said no? Have a think about it. What, what percentage said no, I would not go to church with a family? You know, only, only 44%. If in my head, I was thinking, well, at least half, but probably more than half. 32% of the day, oh, yeah, maybe. Another 16% said, yep, I'd go. And there were also, if you quickly do in the math, there were 8% of people who said, I don't know anyone who'd invite me to church. Um, but that means there are heaps of people out there who we know who might be keen to come along to church to check things out for themselves and, and see what we do. But I just wanted to remind us, look, it's easy to assume that the answer will be no, but in fact that's not the case. More than half the time it won't be the case. We want to be people who are Jesus' witnesses. And one simple way we can do this is to be ready to invite, ready to invite someone to church. We might not know all the answers on our own. We might know, not know what to say. But all of us can invite someone. I wanted to encourage you. Give it a crack. And let's be a church that keeps genuinely loving each other so that when guests walk in, they can't help but see the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Why don't I pray for us, friends? Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his death on the cross, that his resurrection changes everything. Lord God, our prayer is that we would just be witnesses to these things, of what Jesus has done and of what, how that's changed our lives. Help us be ready and willing to invite people and we pray with thankfulness for, for the last year that you've given us. We've been able to share in community, looking after each other, loving each other, getting to know one another. God, our prayer is we'd be a church that always does this well so that we might be those who do genuinely care for each other and that that would help our witness to the world. We need your help in this and we pray for it now in the name of Jesus. Amen.